we jump into the show, let's get the contact information out of the way. You can contact me several different ways. I have the voicemail, which is area code 206-745-2731. You can also record an MP3 or WAV file and email that to me. If you're not comfortable with recording an audio message, please feel free to contact me via email, and I'll read your comments out on the next show. The address for both email and audio content is firearmscafe at gmail.com. That's all one word, firearmscafe at gmail.com. I also have a Facebook listener page, a Twitter account, and a YouTube channel. There are buttons for these at the website, which is firearmscafe.com, so please go there and click on these buttons and like me on Facebook, follow me on Twitter, and subscribe to me on YouTube. They are all free. If you would like to support the show financially, at the website there is an Amazon search box. If you use it, Amazon will give me a finder's fee on any products that you buy at no additional cost to you. I also have a donate button through PayPal. I'm looking forward to hearing from you soon. Thank you for spending your time with me and listening to the show. Hey, guy, this is Masad Ayub. I'm here to tell you to take yourself and ideally your kids and your grandkids to an Appleseed Project shooting event. It's about history. It's about pride in your country. And not incidentally, it's about marksmanship and having a whole lot of fun. I hope to see you there. Before we jump into the show, let's get the contact information out of the way. You can contact me several different ways. I have the voicemail, which is area code 206-745-2731. You can also record an MP3 or WAV file and email that to me. If you're not comfortable with recording an audio message, please feel free to contact me via email, and I'll read your comments out on the next show. The address for both email and audio content is firearmscafe at gmail.com. That's all one word, firearmscafe at gmail.com. I also have a Facebook listener page, a Twitter account, and a YouTube channel. There are buttons for these at the website, which is firearmscafe.com, so please go there and click on these buttons and like me on Facebook, follow me on Twitter, and subscribe to me on YouTube. They are all free. If you would like to support the show financially, at the website there is an Amazon search box. If you use it, Amazon will give me a finder's fee on any products that you buy at no additional cost to you. I also have a donate button through PayPal. I'm looking forward to hearing from you soon. Thank you for spending your time with me and listening to the show. Hey everybody, what is going on? Today is Sunday. It is the 1st of March, 2015. We got a lot of feedback for the show today, so I will get to that here in just a second. The show may be a little bit shorter, but I did want to put something out before too much time passed. Now, we are under assault again, and it's coming in the form of an ammunition ban for probably the most popular rifle in the country, which is the AR-15. And the reason they are saying that they are going to ban certain ammunition is because it can be fired out of a pistol, which would be an AR-15 type pistol. And the reason that that has to be banned because it can be fired out of that pistol is because that that round would be able to pierce soft body armor. However, this ammunition is, is very popular and there's been, what, Hundreds of thousands, probably millions of those rounds have been sold and are in the hands of uh, the people in this country. There have also been, I'm sure, hundreds of thousands of AR-15 pistols being uh, built or bought, and yet we don't seem to have a problem uh, that this 
Ban is seeking to solve, so we've got a solution sort of in search of a problem where one doesn't exist. Also, I mean, the reality of it is there's been other type of firearms that fire the 223 and that would fire that, or the 5.56. You know, you look at those Thompson, what are they, uh, Thompson contenders? I guess they still make them, but there's tons of them around still. Uh, and for those of you guys that don't know, from what I remember, I'd never, I'd always, when I was a kid, I always wanted one, but basically it was a single shot pistol that shot that 223 or the 5.56 cartridge. And back in the day, it was primarily touted as a something that you would go out and shoot prairie dogs with, or maybe you could shoot coyotes and you could put a scope on it. And it was a little bit bigger pistol, but it was definitely a pistol. So the philosophy or the idea that all of a sudden there's a firearm that can shoot this ammunition is, is totally bogus. And again, you know, the, the AR-15 pistol has been around. It wasn't as super popular, but it's been around for a long time. So, uh, we also, well, but we do have some I'm kind of stuttering around. Sorry about that. We do have some good things that are happening. We have several States that are now pushing for permitless carry or what you would call constitutional carry. So like in Arizona, like in, uh, Alaska, uh, was it Wyoming, Vermont, places like that. So the dominoes are lined up and they're actually starting to fall. I think another ripple effect of that might be that some of these states where it's very, very difficult to get a concealed carry permit, and I guess all all the states now have it. Some of them, it's so difficult that they might as well not. It's uh, it's kind of in name only. But I think what happens as more and more states go to a permitless carry, concealed carry option, you're going to see a couple of things, I think, come of that. I think it's going to clear the way in some of these states where they're being very difficult I think what's going to happen is they're going to say, let's at least, let's not let this permitless carry thing come here. Let's go ahead and do concealed carry, a permitting system where at least we can control it and do this and do that type of thing. So, but eventually I think much like concealed carry started out in the late eighties, it may take another 10, 12 years, but I'm sure eventually what will probably be the norm will be permitless carry. It also may be a thing where this, uh, another ripple effect of it may be where it does help to push a, uh, a 50 state reciprocity type thing. So that if, you know, if I have my permit here in Arizona, I'm good in California and I'm good in Nevada and I'm good in uh, Pennsylvania and Georgia, wherever I go. So hopefully that will do. Now, of course, why that might go through is again because it will allow them to have more control, and you would still have to follow the the, the gun laws in those states. So if I went to California, I would I'm sure I would still have to to follow a thing where I only had a ten round magazine, and I would have to abide by their uh, whatever um, gun safe or safe gun list or whatever they've got it, whatever they call that thing that they've got over there which wouldn't be a, uh, much of a problem. So, you know, that kind of just popped into my head. I don't really know what's happening with the micro stamping or the smart gun things. I think those are kind of, you know, dead in the water, at least for now. And I, I, they'll still kind of keep pushing them, but uh, it's kind of like pushing rope. I don't think they're going to get anywhere with it. Let's see. 
I think that is about it. And what I'm going to do now is we'll go ahead and jump in with some feedback. I got an email from a fellow Arizonan. I'm not going to give too much of his info out. Uh, his first name is Brian, and that's about all I'll say on there. So Brian writes, Hey, Tony, long-time listener here in the Valley. There have been many shows that I've wanted to comment on, but life has been keeping me busy and I just end up forgetting. No longer the case, my friend. I seem to recall you looking for some training. I have taken a couple of pistol courses through Shooter's World in Phoenix and they were both great. I think the names were Defensive Pistol and Advanced Pistol. However, I ran across a great guy several years ago that offers a variety of training here in the Valley and up in the Prescott Valley area. His name is Glenn Stilson and his business name is Independence Training. He's a great guy and someone I consider a friend. He offers training from medical and self-preparedness to a variety of self-defense classes. I have taken a defensive carbine class, a low-light, no-light pistol class, as well as a predator hunting class with him over the years and enjoyed every one of them. He also has a show called The Arms Room. This is on a podcast YouTube. He is the type of trainer that understands how adults learn and continually invests in his own training, including with the likes of Masada Yub, with whom I believe you have trained with as well. Check him out when you get a chance. You also mentioned the Appleseed Project. I have attended one several years ago, and even though I was only able to attend one day, I feel it was money well spent. I truly learned a lot and was ultimately the reason I bought my first M&P 15-22. I shot that first day with an AR-15. I have not been back to finish it, but there is not a better day than April 19th to do it. I may have to go for my shot at the coveted Rifleman's Patch this year, if my aging eyes will allow for it. Also, you mentioned wanting to shoot the Tactical 22 Steel Challenge at Rio Salado. This is something I shoot once in a while, and it's a blast. At my very first match a few years ago, I met and had a conversation with Rob Latham. I thought he looked familiar, but it didn't click till after the match who I was talking to. When I do go, I have a small group of guys I shoot with, and that makes it all the much better. One of them I have seen raised to the number one or two spot on a consistent basis. And again, that's from Brian, and Brian is, uh, like I said, a local Arizona boy. So Brian, thanks for sending that in. I will take you up maybe on some of the offers, uh, if we can ever kind of work it out. I'm always looking for somebody to go shooting with, and I'd also like to check out maybe and do some training with uh, that friend of yours, Glenn Stilson, and I will put some of his information. Uh, Brian had, had given me some links in the email, so I will go ahead and send that in. Kind of talking, I, I'd mentioned before about the uh, doing that steel challenge. There are several kind of clubs up here. I think there's two or three maybe, and when they meet, I I want to say they meet once a month, and you do that the the steel challenge now from what i understand it and from what i've the information i've been able to gather you will you have five targets and they're set up in specific orientations and then you you shoot you shoot different strings and the last target is either on a red stand or maybe painted red or or it has an indicator that that's your stop target so that's the one that you have to hit at the end and then the faster you go, the better that you do. Um, but also accuracy counts as well. So uh, I'm looking forward to doing that. I, I think that's something that I could get. 
I don't know if my daughter is really kind of big enough or, or kind of ready yet to do that. Um, but I would like to take her out. And then even if we sort of did our own type of thing, if, if she and I went out to the desert and then we set up and again, you don't, I wouldn't have to use steel. We could just use paper plates or something and, and set those up and do them that way to kind of give us a feel. So anyway, uh, again, Brian, thanks for sending that in. I appreciate it. And I hope to hear from you again real soon. We also got, uh, some feedback from a gentleman who goes by the name Ohio 45 APC. And he wrote in, I was talking about, uh, doing some stuff with the old Ruger 1022. And he writes in, Tony, I heard about your Ruger 1022 project that you were working on. I have a few more ideas that you may want to include in your project. When I did my 1022 breakdown, I did the following. I used Volkortz and parts for the target hammer, a custom exact edge extractor, the extended bolt handle, and the automatic bolt release. I did not install the extended mag release. Kid bolt buffer pin. It's a steel pin with nylon outer sleeve versus a solid nylon pin option. And most importantly, a trigger shim... Oh, excuse me. Let me start that over. And most importantly, a trigger shim brand Ruger 1022 trigger shim kit. Eight-piece standard plus springs combo kit. These washers eliminate the slop and slide play in the trigger. Definitely take a look at these. They dramatically improve the standard Ruger trigger. And then he gives a couple of uh, videos on U- YouTube things and a uh, place where you can get the shim kits. So again, Ohio 45 APC. Thanks for sending that in. I appreciate it. Now I went ahead and I got my parts for the 1022 and what I had ordered prior to actually getting this email, but what I had ordered was the extended bolt handle, the extended mag release and the automatic bolt release. And I changed those out and I, those were all Volkortsen. Uh, spelled V-O-L-Q-U-A-R-T-S-E-N. And you can look them up. You can find all their parts like through Brownells or Midway, and you can generally find them on sale here and there. Uh, But anyway, I ended up getting those. They all went in and fit like a dream except for the extended bolt handle. And what I ended up having to do, and I think it's more that the, I don't think it was the fault of the, extended bolt handle but how it fits onto the bolt it's a very very tight fit and i think that sometimes on the on the what you would call the specs of ruger where it can fall and still work uh, and still pass muster for them sometimes you're on the on the low end of that and i think i was right on that low end on and on certain my parts being a little wide. Now the, the Ruger 1022 that I had bought was just a Walmart special. It's got the banded barrel, you know, it's no great shakes. Uh, and so it also had that kind of that black coating on the outside of it, which a lot of it is flaked off. So I, what I ended up doing was I took the, uh, took the bolt out and took that all apart. And then I polished it on on the old uh, grinding wheel and you know took my time and did it slow and then cleaned it off real good and then would go back and polish it so I got that all polished up but what I had to do to make it fit was I had to inside the receiver I, I sanded a bunch of it out and got all that 
cruddy paint and junk that was in there and I cleaned all that stuff out as best I could. And then I filed on the parts where it fits down. I didn't file on the bolt, but I filed on the Volkortsen uh, extended bolt handle. And I was able to excuse me, remove enough material and then I kind of tried to sort of sand that a little bit and kind of polish those up and, up and slick them up a little bit. I haven't been able to get out and go shoot that. I'm going to try and do that this week and see how it does. Uh, but I was able to get it to fit. They do fit rather tightly and I've been, you know, sitting there just pulling the bolt back and forth, letting it go back and forth, back and forth, but everything else works. And I would say, especially if you've got one of the older styles, like I have, mine came with the standard, um, just bolt release where you had to kind of push up into it. The extended bolt release, or not bolt release, but the extended magazine release is so much better and makes such a uh, such a difference. I think on some of the newer ones, and I think on the breakdown and stuff that they come with that extended release, it just makes it, it's, it's so much easier. Uh, now, the automatic bolt release, you still have to kind of monkey with it to lock it back, but it makes it so much easier when you go to send that bolt forward. You just, you know, pop it back a little bit and chunk and in it goes. So I, those were those two, if I was only going to do two modifications, I would probably say for me, what I would do, excuse me, what I would do is the extended mag release. If it doesn't already come with one and then the automatic bolt release, the other stuff you can kind of live with, uh, and the trigger and stuff, you know, I'm, if, if I was going to do something like that, I think what I would probably do I know that uh, Ohio had recommended the trigger shim, you know, the trigger kit and stuff like that. I think if I was going to kind of really start going down that road, I think I would maybe try and build like a real, uh, like a custom, custom rifle where accuracy was sort of my, my goal. And what I would, and what I might even look at doing is looking at some, some that are sort of already built that way. And I'd have to kind of weigh out, which is, which would be the cheaper or the most economical for me way for me to do it. So would it be better for me to sort of build my own and, and use like, you know, parts from Volkortsen or from kid or, you know, getting this type of barrel or that type of thing from different, from different places and then kind of having everything fit together. Or would it be better to just to buy a Volkortsen, let's say rifle that they have that's already, you know, done that way. So, and I don't know, I, you know, maybe one day I will, maybe if my daughter really kind of gets into uh, into shooting, we can go out and do that. It's funny for for Valentine's Day, she had made me this little card, and on the card it said it was good for going out and shooting. She made me like a little coupon uh, to go out and shoot as a family. So she wants me to go, and then of course wants mom to go. And I think you know with the twenty twos and everything, it's it's a it's a real good way for us as a family to go out and do some of that stuff. And I, and what also is going to be nice about this is having some of these upgrades that I've done to the Ruger will make it to where it's, um, it's just easier. Things are more ergonomic. And so the, the actual shooting, the overall shooting experience will be, uh, will be more enjoyable, more pleasant, I guess. So anyway, again, thanks for sending that in. I hope to hear from you again real soon. And as always, please feel free to send in anything you want. So our next bit of feedback is from Jeff. And this was actually left over at the uh, Facebook. Actually, he just messaged me. um, And I will go ahead and read that out. 
This is a little bit of a longer one, so I may stumble and restart. So if I do, <clears throat> excuse me, boy, my voice is going crazy. Sorry about that. So Jeff writes in and says, so I was listening to the Daniel Shaw episode, which and number 125 as well, and had some comments. Boy, I'm starting off gangbusters, aren't I? On the NFA thing, it depends on the state, but I think you should always carry a copy of your stamps with you. Okay, well, let's, let's, uh, let's take a quick aside here. When I had Daniel on the show a couple of shows back, he and I talked a little bit about sort of that SIG brace and how people were trying to use that with some of the AR pistols instead of filling out the ATF paperwork and just getting a short barreled rifle. And then if you do that, you can have the adjustable stocks. You can do all this other stuff with it, but you got to pay extra. You got to pay for the stamp and you got to go do the paperwork and blah, blah, blah. So anyway, this is, this is what Jeff is referencing. He says in Texas, NFA items are technically illegal and a defense to prosecution is that they are registered under the NFA of 1934. So since we are guilty until proven innocent, if you don't have your stuff on you, you could in theory have issues. There is a bill to change that in the state legislature right now, and hopefully the law gets changed so it just becomes a federal law with no corresponding state law. As for registering an SBR, which is a short-barreled rifle, uh, and as a side for those of you guys that don't know, what that means is the minimum length that you can have on a rifle and it not be considered a short barrel rifle is 16 inches. Now, technically you can have one that is 14 and a half or a little bit smaller. And if you have a muzzle device that is permanently attached, as long as that comes up to the 16 inch uh, measurement, then you would be okay. So I'll start again. Kind of says, as, as for registering a SBR short barrel rifle, there is a great video how to do this through the ATF's e-form system. And then he leaves a link, which I will put on uh, the website and then also on the Facebook page. So I decided to try it out and I registered a stripped lower as a short barrel rifle about a month ago. According to an email I received from the ATF about a week ago, they said e-form ones are taking about three months to process. One other thing to consider is the proposed regulation 41P. If this comes down, they may take away the ability for a trust to buy an NFA item without a CLIO, which stands for Chief Law Enforcement Officer Signature. In Dallas, here you won't get a CLIO sign-off. So once that was proposed last year, that is when I made the move to get my suppressors and while I've fill the registration on the SBR because I may not be able to later on. The final ruling on that is expected in May, and that'll be May of 2015. Uh, and then he has, a, again, he has that link to the video. He further writes, oh, and for the stuff about people being on a list. And we had talked about, I talked about on the last show, or the show before last, I can't remember which, is, you know, are we on lists, you know, um, is the, you know, the ATF and the state governments, are they actually keeping lists of people and kind of what they have and what they've bought, even though by law they're not supposed to. And I talked about how they, if they wanted to, they could go around uh, and if they wanted to come start looking for people and looking for guns, they could, they could do all, there's a lot of different workarounds that they could do. So anyway, I'll start again. Oh, and for the stuff about people being on a list, if they want to compile a list, they have many ways to do it. First, the 4473s, which is the world's most inefficient gun registry by design. The hunting licenses, like you mentioned, 
then CHLs, uh, which in Texas I think is concealed handgun license or like in Arizona, it's CCW, so concealed weapons permit. If you have a concealed handgun license, you likely own at least one pistol. Then for me, I have an ATF FFL Type 3 licensed collector of curios and relics. And then I am also in global entry and a TSA trusted traveler. So I get better airport security. And when I return from overseas, I can check in via a kiosk and not have to wait in the immigration line. So then after all those lists, like you mentioned, there are credit card and debit transactions. And then you have the DEA take talking, excuse me, about using license plate scanners at gun shows. And then finally, the FBI and the NSA are pulling in phone data, which includes location data. So if you've ever set foot in a gun store, there's probably a record of it. Long story short, if they want to compile a list, you are on it. That being said, private sales, at least, there is no proof that you still own. Here, let me reread that. Um, that being said, with private sales, at least there is no proof that you still own any of those things like you mentioned, as you may need to sell them to a private party to raise some cash for or something else. And then I had kind of written back and said, oh, you know, thanks for that. And I told them, I used to have one of those, the, the Curio and Relics FFL, and I went through the stuff and did it. It wasn't that difficult to do, but I never really used it. And I thought, oh, maybe I could, you know, get one of the collector rifles or something like that, or a really old, uh, you know, something that would be on that Curio's, like an old revolver or something. But I just never really used it, and I kind of let it lapse. So he wrote back, yeah, I've used the Curio once, but I like the idea of using it. So I renewed it as there are a lot of things I might get around to buying. So for $10 a year for potential convenience when buying, I will pay it. He also wrote, I got another data point for you. The ATF just emailed me my Form 1 approval on the e-form. It took about a month to get the SBR approved. And I assume they will be mailing me the stamp now. And then I wrote back and said, sweet. Kind of in a callback to again, the show with Daniel and, and we had talked about it and, uh, you know, I had, had said that I had kind of thought that I would probably not go the SIG brace route that what I would do is probably just do the, Oh, the short barrels, you know, and go that route, um, and, and, and do the, do the, um, why am I, I'm fading right now. <laughs> it's kind of late and I'm kind of tired. Okay, so let's start anyway. I would go ahead and fill out the Form 1, get the SBR paperwork and all that stuff, and then that way I would be all good to go and, and legal eagle and all that type of stuff. From some of the, the concerns that some people have are that, you know, of course you would be on a list and they would know that you would have it and they would be they would also know that if you had something like a short barrel rifle, you're going to be likely to have other things, and if it ever came down to it, you know, they're going to come to you and, and, and basically take all your stuff. And like we've talked about before, and like some of the stuff that Jeff was mentioning in his email or his message to me that, you know, there, there are tons and tons of ways to, to get on a list. And I think realistically what we need to do is kind of get away from that, having our head sort of in the sand or hiding in the closet. And we need to sort of be out and saying, yeah, I'm a gun owner and, and yeah, I'm going to make these videos and go ahead and put me on a list. I don't care. You know, you can't, there, there's so many of us on there now that if we were all doing that type of thing, that they wouldn't, they wouldn't 
I don't think, try and come after us. They, they might try and do in runs and stuff. I mean, there are always going to be things like that. But for them to come after us and do outright, you know, confiscation and going sort of door to door and kicking in the doors, I don't, I just, I don't foresee that happening. Not to say that it couldn't, but I don't really foresee it happening in, in, in the near future. Uh, and this, of course, wouldn't ever mean anything like, oh, that I'd be okay if there was gun registration. I, I, you know, I don't believe in that. I don't think it does any good. I don't think it would ever solve any problems. Again, it's one of those things of it's a, a solution, a solution, excuse me, looking for a problem that doesn't exist. Uh, and I, you know, we, with my political beliefs and philosophies, I, I think that the government should be as far away from us as possible. We should have very little contact with them. Uh, but anyway, I think I have kind of rambled on long enough. I know that, <clears throat> excuse me, the show is kind of not as long as normal. I am going to try and have some more guests on the show, uh, but my voice is starting to go, so I don't want to have to subject you guys to hearing gravelly, gravelly voice Tony right now. So I will... Sign off for now. You guys take care and stay safe. I'll talk to you next time.
given him superhuman strength.